Glad to see you guys this morning. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Britt Holmes. I'm the executive deacon here at Redeemer Church Irving. And all that that means is that I get the joy of leading by serving. And so as I aspire to the role of elder, I'll be given the opportunity to preach from time to time throughout the year. So you'll hear from me. Uh, and that's a joy to be with you and open God's word today. And so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8. And as you're turning there, I'll set up where we have been so far in this new year. And we have been in our mission and vision series. And so we are taking time at the beginning of this year to remind ourselves that we are planting Redeemer Church Irving for a reason. That there is actually purpose behind what we're doing here. And that purpose comes directly from Jesus. And we've summarized that what Jesus has given us to do, our mission, through our mission statement, is to love God to love people, to make disciples of all nations for God's glory. And that mission said another way, based on the scriptures, is that that is the great commandment and the great commission for the glory of God. And so our vision for how that mission that God's given us will play out here is directly tied to our context. And so our context, those are the circumstances of our setting, its culture, and the terms in which we believe that people can best understand and receive the mission that God has given us for Irving. So all of that has formed our vision for the foreseeable future here at Redeemer Church. And that is to plant a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, bilingual church that plants churches. And so we've discerned that from the scriptures through prayer and how the Holy Spirit has guided us thus far is that we must be a gospel-centered church. So that means that the good news of God's story is going to be the filter by which we plant Redeemer Church Irving. And that, that gospel story is the Bible. It's the story that God has been telling from beginning to end. And so that's going to be at the center of all that we say and do here. And we also envision that our church can and should reflect our city. And so if you don't know it, Irving has one of the most diverse zip codes in America. And so we believe that our church should embody and embrace a, a multi-ethnic vision. That those shouldn't be different. Those should be synced up together. And we envision that one of the predominant languages of our city, which is Spanish, will be reflected in the life of our church. So we're trusting the spirit to make that clear as time goes along. But we are thinking about a possible Spanish gathering connected to our English gathering where we could be one family with multiple languages. And finally, we're committed to planting churches. And so we've said this a lot before, that the end game of Redeemer Church Irving is multiplication. That we don't want to build something up, although we want to strengthen and establish our church, which is the model that we see in the book of Acts. But that we want to build something out. That our people, our resources, the good works that God has prepared for us, that we want to leverage those to plant more churches throughout the world. Because in the book of Ephesians, God says that he will make his manifold wisdom, all of who he is, he will make that known to the world through his church. And so that's why we're here. We've been called into this glorious mission of God and the aspect of that mission that we're going to focus on today. 
is that as we love God and love people, we will necessarily be propelled to make disciples, learners and followers of Jesus. And what we'll find in the teachings of Jesus is that we are commanded to make disciples of all different kinds of people. That the mission of God is a global mission. It's a cosmic worldwide mission that he has invited us into. It always has been. So if you'll look at me now with Acts in Acts 1, 1 through 8, if you have it in your Bible or on your device, we'll read the whole thing and then we'll draw some things out together. So starting in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so just to, to give us some context here, what we're seeing in these opening verses is that the book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. And so Luke's the same author of both. And so a really helpful way to view these is not as two separate books, but as one book with two different parts. The first part that Luke says himself that he has dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in his gospel. And so we've seen that. We've been throughout the book of Luke as we've talked about this mission. And what we've seen is how love of God and love of people, the making of disciples of all different kinds of people to glorify the Father, those are interwoven into the ministry of Jesus. Everything that he says and does represents that. But now there's this turning point into Acts. And the turning point is when Jesus dies and comes back to life. So what Luke wants to show as he transitions now into Acts is that Jesus began to do and teach the mission of God. And now Jesus and the Holy Spirit are going to continue this mission through his disciples. If you look back at verses 1 and 2, Luke says, I've dealt with what Jesus started until the day that he was taken up. He's talking about Jesus' resurrection and then his ascension in to heaven. And he said this happened after he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. The apostles are his first commission sent followers. And so what commands did Jesus give to his apostles? The greatest commandment, the great commission. You see the continuity of the Bible, the continuity of the mission that Jesus gives his followers. And so now the question is, how are these sent disciples supposed to do what Jesus commanded them? They know what to do, but how are they supposed to do it, especially if Jesus has left and ascended to the Father? How are they going to do it? They've been with this man for three years. 
They have gotten all of their teachings, all of what they have been told to do and execute on his behalf has been directly from him, and now he has ascended. Jesus says the way that you are going to do all that I've commanded you to do is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is now present with Jesus's people. Verse three says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And so if you can imagine what the apostles must be feeling as they watched their teacher, Jesus, arrested, put on trial, and then murdered, immediately after that, they were gathered together because they were distraught. And in disbelief, they thought the king that who came that in their minds, they thought he was going to overthrow Rome and establish the kingdom of Israel, the actual national kingdom of Israel. You can imagine that they were disillusioned, that what they had given their lives over to for the last three years, they thought had died with Jesus. But we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus presents himself to them alive that Jesus' physical body resurrected from the grave and the many proofs that he showed them, his hands and his feet that were pierced, he showed them that he was flesh, not just a ghost. If you remember when he asked for something to eat, Jesus is showing them, I am actually alive again. And it changed everything because Jesus really is who he says he is. If he can come back to life and conquer death, then Jesus must be God because no human has won the fight against death. And Jesus is God, the only God-man, Jesus Christ, the sent one of the Father. And that shows them that he is the ruler of everything. In their minds, God was the God of creation. The one who spoke everything into existence is above everything and controls everything. So now that is true of Jesus. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, immersed with water. But you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So now we're getting to the heart of Jesus's mission after his resurrection. But he's going to reframe that for his followers, because in this question, you, you still hear what they thought he was going to do. They're saying, Jesus, you really are the powerful and promised king. You are the king over death. You resurrected so now the conclusion that they draw from that, are you going to now overthrow Rome? Are you going to now establish the kingdom of Israel? Because if anyone can do it, you can do it. If you can conquer death, you can conquer the emperor. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and it's almost as if you stopped right there, that what they could be anticipating is Jesus about to say, you're going to receive power to help me overthrow our enemies once and for all. That might be how they finished that sentence when they saw their resurrected king in power and now saying that he's giving that to them. 
that's still the scope of what they think the mission of God is, is to conquer their enemies. That it's personal for them and that it's immediate. That what Jesus came to do was for Israel in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus tell them? You're certainly going to receive power from me to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Disciples of Jesus receive supernatural power from the Spirit to bear witness about Jesus to all nations. Disciples of Jesus receive supernatural power from the Spirit to testify, to communicate the truth about what they have experienced in the person of Jesus to all nations. And I'll remind us of what Jesus said his disciples are supposed to bear witness about. So if you keep Luke and Acts together, this becomes really helpful because if you just look a few verses back in the book of Luke, chapter 24, 44 through 49, we read this last week. If you remember that Jesus, that Jesus appears to his disciples and in chapter 24, 44, he says this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And listen to this, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Disciples of Jesus receive supernatural power from the spirit to proclaim that all scripture is fulfilled through Christ's perfect life of obedience, that he suffered and died the death that we deserved because we could not love God and love others the way that we were created to. And that because of our sin, Jesus came and became sin, as the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He died in our place that we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus rose from the dead so that his disciples, his followers could be raised to life as new men and new women, able to turn from their sins and receive the forgiveness provided in Jesus Christ. And now Jesus says, my followers will testify. They will keep communicating about this reality that all the scriptures have been pointing to since the beginning. If you hear what Jesus summarized there, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. And he's saying all of that pointed to me, and then he opens the, the, the minds of his followers to see that clearly and to testify about that clearly. And Jesus tells his disciples, all that you have experienced in me and have learned from me, you are now receiving through the Spirit. And as humanity and the Spirit of God partner together as they were always intended to, we are going to cultivate a new way of life into the rest of the world. This new way of living 
that Jesus refers to in the Gospels as the kingdom of God. And then after saying this, Jesus ascends into heaven and the promised Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to dwell with his people. And the way that this appears in Acts 2 is that tongues of fire fall on the apostles and they begin speaking a multitude of languages so that in Jerusalem, not just Jews, but what the Bible says, every nation under heaven was gathered in the city when this happened. And they were all amazed and astonished because these Galilean men were speaking directly to them, each in their own native tongue. And so they are asking, what is going on here? Something amazing is happening, but they don't know why and for what purpose, and they don't know how it's happening. So Peter, full of the Spirit, stands up and says, this is happening because of what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh in such a powerful way that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus keeps his promises. And Peter says that the man, Jesus, who attested to all of this, they were very aware of this. This was just a few days before. The man, Jesus, who attested to all of this was crucified, but he has now been raised up and he is not here anymore because he has ascended to the right hand of God, receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, what you are witnessing now is that Spirit has come. And then Peter concludes, let all who hear this know for certain that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ, the chosen King. Repent and be baptized, each one of you, and receive the Holy Spirit. Peter is immediately testifying. He's witnessing about what Jesus said he would. And the Bible says that they were all cut to the heart when they heard this, and about 3,000 souls came under the lordship of Jesus Christ the King. We are seeing in just a few chapters that God's plan for the world is for all nations to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, who has made the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And all of us, enemies of God, because of the sin inherited through our rebellious parents, Adam and Eve, and not just inherited, participated in by us, gladly, willingly, over and over again, that we have been disarmed in our rebellion and we have been welcomed home because Jesus conquered sin and death. The redemption that Jesus accomplished on a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem has so powerfully moved and accomplished its mission that from the 11 apostles in that room to the 3,000 at the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, to think about now, thousands of years later, where we are right now, we're not the only church gathering this morning on a Sunday in the U.S. All over our country, people are testifying and witnessing to the power of Jesus Christ. That right now, 7,000 miles away from the events that we just read in this chapter, a multitude of people are gathering to bear witness that Jesus Christ is alive. We believe that Jesus Christ really is alive. He's not a ghost. He's not a phantom. 
It wasn't some sort of swoon thing that happened that confused people a long time ago. Jesus really is alive. And all over the world, in Colombia, soon, in Germany, in Zambia, in Japan, this weekend, people are going to testify that God keeps his promises. His mission has not stopped. His kingdom reigns and the re that repentance is available for those who would call upon the name of Jesus is enacted, will be continued, and forever will be proclaimed because of the power of the spirit that dwells in his people. The continuity of this being God's plan is all throughout the Bible, but I think one of the places that it's beautifully summarized is by Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 15, 8 through 13. I would really like for you to turn with me there. Romans chapter 15, 8 through 13. And so you might find in your verses as we read this cross-references to the Old Testament, and I would encourage you to revisit those in the coming weeks just to see how much of Scripture that Paul is referencing to show that this is God's mission, that God's mission is global. So I'll, I'll set some context for us. Paul's talking about how we are to use our freedom in Christ to serve one another, and then he points to the example of Jesus. Romans 15, 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that's Abraham and his sons, in order that the Gentiles, all other ethnic groups outside of Israel, might glorify God for his mercy as it's written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing in your name. That's cited from David in 2 Samuel and Psalm 18. Verse 10, and again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, cited from Deuteronomy. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him from Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. In Isaiah 11, Jesus is referenced as the root of Jesse, and he's referenced that way again in Revelation 5 and 22, as all nations are healed in the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul ends in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. From beginning to end in the Bible, God is communicating his global vision for people to be unified through a mutual love for Jesus. And the story of Jesus's redemption, the reason why we love Jesus is because he first loved us. And that story speaks across all languages, cultures, ethnicities, more so than any other worldview or way of living in the world, whatever you want to title that. The story of Jesus speaks globally more than any other story that the world has to offer. This was by design. God's actively working in his creation to simultaneously retain and yet redeem the unique and beautiful aspects of each culture. And the reason why God is doing this is to show 
that true humanity, the way he created it to function, true human unity is best expressed in worship of God. So if you remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis, God uses that part of human history to show that there is a trajectory of unity that can lead to a wrong conclusion. That there is human unity that can lead to human glorification, the glory of the self. And God opposes that, not because it's unity, but because its aim is off. Because in God's wisdom, he knows that unity for human glorification will actually lead to disunity, dysfunction. It will lead to death. And God has in mind a story of unity that leads not to Babylon, but to New Jerusalem to his holy city, where the height of human power and wisdom is actually laid before Jesus Christ. And he's the one that leads us into the city, that all of the glory of what we can accomplish in our unity is laid at the feet of Jesus. Because at the end of all things, when that happens, it says that every Nation and tribe and tongue will cry, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so our hope at Redeemer Church Irving is for all of us to come alive to the mission that God has called us to accomplish. And that we see as we move out to make disciples of all different kinds of people, that we see the cosmic global story that we are a part of. And so one of our commitments as covenant partners, that's what we call our members here at Redeemer Church. If you remember this in the agreement, it says that we will always be for the global church while we plant the local church. And so as we close today, I just want to encourage you with how you have been a part of that and how you can continue to be a disciple maker of all nations. We have been able to contribute to a network called the Redeemer Network that's planted over 20 churches as of 2021. In a global pandemic, in the midst of that, God's mission is not stopped. With your help, we've been able to contribute to two churches planted last year in Colombia through our partnership with UPeak. This year, we are significantly going to resource Rescue Mission Church and Psalm 119 Bible Institute in Colombia. They have trained over 1,400 pastors over three years. And their hope is to raise up witnesses of Jesus Christ to be sent across the country of Colombia and beyond. We're also researching a German church in Aschaffenburg who's like-minded in their pursuit to reach Germany by planting churches, sending missionaries. And they have experienced some of the strictest lockdowns due to COVID. And yet the mission of God is not stopped. And our partnership as an Acts 29 church connects us to a network that is committed to planting churches globally. Our network has planted over 600 churches across the world, and they are emphasizing now planting churches in hard places and to unreached people groups. And that's what you and I are a part of, that our mission, our purpose is going to echo out of this room, out of our homes, out of the city of Irving, as we faithfully, week in and week out, love God and love people and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. And there's this upside down nature of God's kingdom that we see in the book of Luke. 
that the way that Jesus' kingdom comes and moves is counterintuitive to our systems, to the way we think power and kingdom should work. And the way that that works that Jesus references is that something really, really small can have a cosmic impact through the power of the Spirit. Jesus' disciples thought that his resurrection was going to overthrow an empire that has come and gone. But it was going to initially just start in a room and move out into a city and then move out to the nations. Because when the Spirit ignited their witness about Jesus Christ, a few people became a thousand people. And thousands and thousands more were added to their numbers each day, it says in the book of Acts, until there was a man named Paul who went on missionary journeys across the known world, establishing churches so that within 300 years, the dominant profession of the entire Roman Empire was that Jesus Christ changed things. There has remained fruit of the Spirit evident in each generation's witness that Jesus is alive. This confession has been handed down to us from the apostles' teaching. It has been preserved, and it has been delivered to us through the scriptures clearly, and it is evidenced by the Spirit as all over the world. Jesus continues to raise the dead back to life. And this is the global kingdom of God for all nations. So I want to end with this reminder of how this kingdom works according to what Jesus said in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. And so the small, everyday, mundane, faithful acts of sowing in our city will grow into a place of rest for people all over the world that we may never get to meet, in places we may never get to go to, but they will be welcome-homed as our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, we will all commune together around the fact that Jesus is alive forever. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that your word is true. Thank you that you have done what you said you would do. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a present help and power for us as we are reminded of all that you accomplished. We trust that you have not left us. And we confess that we are weak, that the mission that you have given us is hard, even impossible, seemingly but because of your spirit, nothing is impossible. That it was impossible for Jesus to come back to life, and yet he's alive. And so we trust you, we need you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.